Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. This is Faye again, and this is Phase World Podcast, but I've been live streaming all these conversations since I think May 2020. I made a decision that I'm not going to over edit anything. I want people to be able to consume and enjoy the conversation right away. And today I have a very, very special guest, Maisha Dyson, who found me because of the documentary. We had lovely conversations Maisha, you know, uh, you know, worked as an actress, but so many other roles as well, you guys. Uh, she's very well-versed, and you will notice this right away as part of this conversation. Uh, she is a former actress, a professor, entrepreneur, turned author, public speaker, creative producer, and now she runs her own show called United We Slay. I was, I am, as I'm recording this, the latest guest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're featured on Dash Radio um, and your parents are famous. And I only learned that before, <laughs> which I'm really thrilled because I'm here for you. You're the reason why we're, why we're here. Yeah. Uh, oh, very cool. <laughs> welcome, Aisha. Thank you for having me, Faye. Such an honor. So glad to be here with you. So I'm really glad you're here because when you interviewed me recently, I thought to myself, wow, I could really talk to this woman for a long time. And I think today we have a very special opportunity where we can really be so open and transparent. And that's something I noticed like after I turned 30 is like, now I can just tell the world the truth about me. I guess be me. So yeah. uh, I, won't, I, I want exactly that for this episode. Yeah, for sure. You know, there is something about age and the older we get, the more you really just kind of start to let your hair down and go, look, I'm getting back to like my five-year-old self when it comes to just showing up as I am, take it or leave it. These are my life experiences. And here I am, you know, you just own your space unapologetically, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that's been the story of my life. It's evolving, intentionally evolving and um, being open to change. And with that, you take the good, the bad, the ugly. Sometimes you fall. You know, sometimes you get up, sometimes you're winning, sometimes you have support, sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you find yourself in this place. And for me, it's always about, am I being authentic, you know, mm -hmm. and who I am and what it is I want to create and share with others. So you mentioned, you know, you now can be your five-year-old self. I, I got to ask, what were you like when you're five years old? Spicy, bossy, didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, please feel free. Hysterical. I mean, literally like a little, I mean, my mom used to call me like um, little Mussolini. It was really <laughs> just, I knew what I wanted and I didn't overthink it and I wasn't insecure about it. And I loved everybody. So in my mind, I, I was doing things for everyone. So, you know, if they told me I could not have a cookie, but I had five guests over, I go, okay. And then I wait for them to leave and I go get what we needed because it was for the greater good. That was my <laughs> justification. 
<laughs> yeah, do you? I mean, were, you say you were fearless uh, mm-hmm. at the time. Did you, uh, That that's when you were five years old. And I, I have a couple of really good friends. I just love their little girls and they're running around like some of them are tomboys and they're expressing themselves. Um, do you, did you ever witness a change in yourself at some point that you remember? Did you become a different person or do you feel like you're able to embrace that, that, that child self or. You know, it's interesting. I've had different milestones in my life that definitely made me step back and look at myself and I changed. Now, some of it was uncomfortable, like my body language, even in speaking with it. You know, I remember going the first time I went to college and I went to an all girl college in the South. I grew up with brothers. So I figured, let's try something different. You know, mm-hmm. I got to college and it was such a unique experience in what I was used to that I withdrew a little bit, even though I was social, I was doing more observation. I wanted to see what the norm was. What is it like to have sisters? What is it like? to go to this all girls school. And then once I kind of gained my confidence in my space, I just owned it. And, you know, at the time I was a theater major, which was not a very common, um, you know, degree to go and get, especially for African-Americans. Like, you know, during the time I was in college, people were going for sciences and they were going for math and English. But let me start back, let me go back because when I did enter college, I was a chemistry major. I was thinking like, you know, let me please my parents. Do you like my older brother who was on this pre-med journey? Mm. And chemistry was something that I killed and like killed it in high school. So I was like, oh, I got this. I can do this. I can become a dentist. (laughs) Man, after my first year, I was so like depleted energetically because it was not something I was passionate about. You can be good at something, but not passionate about it. Mm -hmm. So I remember calling home and I told my parents, listen. You know, my older brother, he's a rock star. He's holding it down. He's in, you know, school, finished his degree, going to med school. I don't think I can do this. And they started laughing. They said, you know, we kind of wondered why you picked that. You know, we've known you to be passionate about performing arts your whole life. So we figured maybe you're going to be the dancing dentist, right? <laughs> so that shift happened. Um, anytime things have happened personally or just trying something new, I do step back and I humble myself mm-hmm. because I I like being a beginner. I know when it's time to set something down and expand or try something new. And so, yeah, those things do pop up and I see a different, I look back and I go, oh, that's a completely different person, completely different person, completely different person. Mm-hmm. Never having imposter syndrome, mind you, but it's just like, oh, this no longer serves me. Let me shed this. And I like that. So let's put that on, mm. you know? And so that's been the journey. Mm-hmm. I think as uh, women, I mean, as human beings, we we change really quickly, rapidly. And I noticed uh, when you said five years old, and that's such a magical age, not to mention like, you know, the there's a TV show right now. I forgot. It's like the first, uh, whatever, uh, 2000 days or something uh, before you become an adult. And it's fascinating to me because 
There is a huge difference between a five and a six and a half year old. By the time you get to school, you surround yourself with a community, with teachers. You've been told what you're good at, you're not what you're not good at. You are now in a much more diverse、uh, group of people. So to kind of lay the groundwork a little bit, I, sometimes I don't get into the habit of asking my guests. But you're now, Maisha. Now you're in LA. Where did you grow up? Like where did you travel to?、Um, to give people a、oh. sense. Oh my、brain. goodness! So, so in my family, I grew up in Chicago, born、mm. and raised. It's where I spent my most time,、mm. and I left after high school. But I grew up in a family that, you know, every four years after leaving high school, my parents moved to different states because my dad was teaching at different colleges,、oh. you know, had different tenures at different places. So, Chicago, I spent the longest time. Then I went to Atlanta for undergrad, New York for grad, L.A. Where I worked,、um, coming out of grad school, I spent time in Nashville and D.C. and Miami. I've lived all over.、Um, never have I ever had a traditional, I guess, upbringing. We were used to traveling every four years.、Um, again, my parents still doing it, you know. So I found it as an adventure. You go somewhere, you、uh, you know, decide what it is you're going to do in that place or with a purpose. But each place, I just felt like you get to reinvent yourself, and so I take those parts of each city that I've had a chance to tap into at different times of my life, and I always put them in my toolbox. Those skills and people who I loved and had a chance to grow with, and we keep moving forward. So my、uh, upbringing has been diverse as far as locations here in the U.S. and, and time spent there. But each one I felt was so necessary based on where I was in life.、Mm-hmm. Mm. Because I find that, for example, the show that you're running right now, United We Slay, it's about、uh, diversity. There are men and women being interviewed. I especially love the fact that you interviewed your dad, who is incredibly knowledgeable, and there's such you know comfort in you two talking together. And and so, you know, I just wonder. Because I've experienced that even by moving forty minutes away from Boston to Western Mass recently, and I experienced kind of a—I don't want to call it a culture shock because it would be sounds exaggerated, but it's actually not because the the kind of the diversity of the people have changed drastically. That I used to live in a neighborhood, literally, if I may just describe it—you know,、yeah. Jewish family, Chinese families, Indian families—and there are also a lot of let's say you know mixed race couples. Children、uh, and to me, there's just it's just incredible, and everybody is so、uh, open and and to me, that's there's a certain level of comfort now. For somebody else, could be very uncomfortable. And、uh, right now, I'm living in a lovely neighborhood still, and、um, the scenery changes. Where、uh, you know, I'm not trying to crack a joke or anything, but it's a big community where. There's one black family. We're the only Chinese family, and、yeah. there may be one Indian family, and、uh, so it's very, very different.、Um, mm-hmm. So I wonder, through your experience, what are some of the traveling moments that felt wow? You really felt like you fit in versus the ones that you learned a lot from, but perhaps it was un- uncomfortable, if you could recall. Got it.、Uh, <laughs> so. Let's start. I guess, and, and this is interesting. It goes really back again to my childhood.、Mm. I've always been comfortable with diversity. So the neighborhood I grew up in in Chicago is called High Park. It's where the University of Chicago is located. So when you grow up in a neighborhood like that, there is an influx of cultural diversity. You have students, and you know, coming from all over the world, and 
professors. And so I've always been in that academic environment, even as a kid. And so my classmates were from all over. My best friend was from Chile. I remember I was in first grade. I could not tell you where this place was on a map. And she had to go back because her grandfather had passed away. So I went home and my grandmother goes, you know, why are you crying, Maisha? I said, because my best friend, she has to go back home. She goes, well, where is she from? I said, somewhere cold. It's really cold. It's called chilly. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but the, my class was just diverse, Jewish and, you know, Mormon and Muslim and Indian and Asian. And I loved it because everyone shared their culture with each other, right? So that was the hub. The times I've been most uncomfortable has been when I found myself living in cities that was pretty much homogeneous, where it was like going back into the 60s and things were just black and white. You know, it did something to me. I felt like this is so restrictive. This is the stuff my parents talked about. This is things that I've seen on these documentaries like Eyes on the Prize. I, I thrive better on coastal cities, New York, Miami, LA, right? Because it's diversity and everyone is thrown in and you figure stuff out and you bond with people based on natural affinities. You know, you show up and you just stay open and your world becomes super adventurous, really cool. And it grows, it opens. But cities like... Um, Boston, you know, Nashville at the time, and <laughs> Chicago at the time, because outside of our little community, Chicago is still segregated. Mm-hmm. I mean, offensively segregated, you know, it made me uncomfortable. And I said, okay, after high school, I'm out. I take what I, what I love, but I would never move back to a city that felt so just culturally, you know, people going at it, very racial. It was a lot of racial tension. That's something I saw outside of our little community of High Park, so to speak. So that would be, yeah, I think where everything started to um, come together for me as far as seeing the value mm-hmm. of diversity, you know, and, and I'm going to say one more thing. I remember speaking to my mom and again, I think it's generational. She would always um, say out loud the, I did like the ethnicity or the religion of her friends before she announces them. She'll go, you know, my Jewish girlfriend, Helen, (laughs) my my West African girlfriend, so-and-so. And And I go, mom, why do you always announce where people are from before you say it? But but that's given her the the era in which she came up, right? Mm -hmm. And so I saw where my siblings and I are at an advantage generationally as being an African-American, where we were put in educational programs that were so diverse, we didn't see, mm-hmm. we didn't announce differences because it's something that you're kind of, you know, you're taught, but we didn't see. I'm just like, oh, my friends, we just look different, yeah. you know? So yeah. That, yeah, that was the start of it for me. It's something I've always valued, always, 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 like wanted to travel the world. The moment I saw a McDonald's Happy Meal calendar that talked about all the different places you could go. Yeah. And oh, to add to it, I went to a language academy as a child. So I started learning French at the age of six, or you could pick German or Japanese. And so, you know, it was just there, it was built in. And I, I, I swear to you, it's the fabric of like who I am big time. Mm-hmm. Do you, wow. Did you continue your French lessons or like, are you conversation? Oh, yeah. I, from elementary all the way through college. Um, unfortunately, my parents didn't speak French. <laughs> so I had all this information that I didn't get a chance to use until my daughter 
um, who I have speaking French. I took her to France so mm-hmm. that she did not experience again not having an outlet to really exercise those talents you've been learning, right? Those skill sets. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've always had the information, just couldn't utilize it at, at home because they couldn't speak it, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, there you possess a lot of skills. So you have a lot of empathy, super easy to talk to. And um, I noticed that that has, you know, learning a different language, lived in different places, seemed to be a, a popular trait from what I can tell, you know, mm-hmm. actors and actresses, uh, you can imitate different accents, you can kind of being able to put yourself in a situation. Do you think that has something to do with you potentially, you know, at the time exploring and a career in acting? Tell us a bit more yeah. about that. Yeah, so here's the deal. Acting was not something I set out to do. Mm-hmm. I, in Chicago at the age of 16, I was performing professionally. So I went to a really amazing school, uh, Whitney Young, which is a performing arts academic school. So I've always had one path in academia. It was always important. And then my passion. And my passion was dance. From the time I was three, you know, it was that something that I couldn't stop, you know, sitting your grandmother down and your aunts. I would put on those recitals. Everybody come. It's starting at Sunday at this time. And I couldn't get it out out of my system. It was who I was. I'm meant to perform. When I got to college, I remember sitting in the library studying for one of these chemistry exams. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And a guy friend of mine who knew I was a dancer, he goes, hey, Maisha, Debbie Allen is like on campus and she's auditioning to put together a performing arts ensemble. You should come. So I was like, Debbie Allen, yeah. I've seen, you know, um, uh, another world and these great like spinoffs of the Cosby show. I'll, I'll go. So I walked in and she gives us, you know, this audition script, you know, and lines and we had to dance. And I, she goes, come on back at five. And I went in and had the time of my life. And I go, this is what was missing, right? In my existence. And I would love to be a part of this ensemble. And I end up making the ensemble. And I was finding that although I was still dedicated to chemistry and being disciplined, when it came to rehearsals, I preferred to sit 15 hours a day in that black box theater than anywhere else. I said, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. And that's when I made that phone call (laughs) to my parents. So as I'm doing that, I still didn't have career in mind. I just thought, oh, this is just my outlet. Sure enough, I believe when something is meant for you and you have the skill set, and it's supposed to be, it's your destiny, it finds you. Mm. So once again, I was sitting somewhere at a library in the summer and a friend tells me about an audition in Atlanta. I go to it. It was for a, a film, and I book. I book the 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 audition. Never acted in my life, but I guess dance lends itself to acting. Mm-hmm. So that's how my career started. Um, immediately, it was like SAG, SAG film, and then I got a TV show two months later, and I just kept booking stuff. Where mm-hmm. I started to get scared because I still was studying, thinking, "Well, wait, I don't have the chops yet." But evidently, something was coming through that I did. So what acting was for me at that time, and you nailed it, I'm an empath. So for me, it was really about allowing myself, Maisha, to step aside 
and be used as a vessel to drop into someone else's shoes. Allow me to tell your story. But to do that, I have to be authentically present. I have to be egoless, drop that ego and let go and trust. And so it's almost like you're holding the hands of God, universe, something bigger that's walking you. And when I did that is when I was met with the opportunity of these of acting jobs, it just came. And I would go another, okay, let's try it. So it was really about, in my mind, being of service. How do, mm-hmm. how do I tell stories about girls that look like me that I know little other Black girls in Chicago would see? Mm-hmm. Because they may not want to pick up a book and read about, but this is a perfect medium. So I thought that this was a tool for me to be of service in order to be a role model to other little girls who I thought were taking this journey behind me. And that's, that's how the career got started. I mean, that's really interesting you brought that up because not until five seconds ago, I didn't realize because I see you and it becomes apparent to me. It's like, yeah, of course, Maisha should be a, an, an actor. Yeah, of course. And dancer. And I realized as part of this show that I've been running since 2014, I've interviewed a lot of actors and actresses. I know collectively they would prefer to be called actors, uh, you know, from Broadway, musicals to on-screen TV and movie. Not a whole lot, but I feel like I have some exposure to it. And of course, uh, several and many of them uh, are what we consider, you know, definitely, you know, people of color and, you know, represents diversity in, in the films that have been placed in. But it also created a lot of challenges, like serious challenges for them, including my friend, one of my friends who's half Korean, half Irish. Mm-hmm. And they really had such difficulties uh, in placing him. We had these discussions. Um, how did it impact your career and very difficult. I mean, that's a really great point. So I found on this journey, when people choose to become actors and you study at colleges, universities, or even, you know, some of these, um, like in, here in LA, they have, you know, actors workshops you can pop into and just go through annually. Mm-hmm. During the time of my journey, there were very limited African-American actresses that were one booking work. Mm -hmm. And there was also equally a huge amount of actresses who wanted to take these, you know, take this path on as a career, but it was not enough, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And we had to compete with people out of our age range because there were not enough roles for us. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not what we've seen the past three to four years here, right? You could turn on Netflix and it's unlimited television showing cultural diversity, sexual, you know, diversity, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. At different ethnicities. But at that time, I remember going into auditions and, you know, Regina King is coming out. Well, she's been on television for 20 years. I remember watching her when I was like eight. I said, how can I compete with this? Or Halle Berry being the only one you know, at the time, booking roles. Uh, One, a Vivica Fox, you know, um, a Teresa Randall, uh, Michael Michelle. These were women who were older than me, but who I looked up to. Mm -hmm. So when you start to see limitations based on Hollywood deciding, no, we'll take one of this and one of that. Mm -hmm. And one, like Joy Luck Club. I remember watching that and I was like, okay, how come we don't see more film? It's one of my favorite films growing up. I said, how come we don't see more of this? And then it takes 20 more years for us to see, you know, crazy rich Asian. What Uh world are we living in? This is not the world that I knew. Mm -hmm. 
right? So that journey was difficult, not because the talent wasn't there. I mean, I was in programs and met actors all over the world who were incredible. And today they're not acting, nowhere near the medium because it was so challenging, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that impacted my career in many ways. Um, I still had some success. It wasn't what it could be, but it's a, it's a, let me say, embarking on this journey is about being, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? And so you have moments where you work, moments where you don't, moments where you work, moments where you don't. That is why I've always had one foot on both sides of either something I created myself, you know, being an entrepreneur or a teacher and then performing arts. You had to have that duality mm. to, fill, to fill the void. You know, I couldn't sit just waiting on things to happen to me. I'm not that personality. Mm-hmm. So it was always, I had two things happening at the same time um, my entire life. And I, I always paired it originally with education. Mm-hmm. You know, again, going back to when I was dancing um, professionally at a performing arts school, I was the captain. So I'm always turning around and teaching others. When I went to college, even though I was in a program and getting an education in performing arts, I had my own business. I found out in Atlanta, they had um, stopped including PE into the school systems. So I created a dance education program. And I went out to every public school, I mean, in private school, introduced my curriculum and parents paid me directly. So I was educating and I made that a business. So when I decided to go to grad school, I said, okay, I don't want to be a fraud in doing this. Let me go get my master's in dance education. That took me to New York, to Columbia University. Mm-hmm. So every time I had to check engage myself with making sure I'm always doing things out of service, meaning operating from my heart, mm-hmm. that door opens and the next step I could take it. It was illuminated, so to speak. You know what I mean? Oh my God. You're touching on, I mean, now we're getting really like the the core of uh, this conversation here. And I think your background, you know, people's background origin stories are so important. Otherwise you don't really know who you're talking to. And now things really start to make sense. And this is starting to really light up. Uh, Two areas I would love to kind of get into yeah. Um, which we can probably talk for about 16 hours. But number one is that not only the diversity of, you know, who we are as human beings and where we come from, not just skin colors and and cultures, uh, but also the different, the you know, diverse income streams as well, revenue streams and what you just described. You know, for people who are listening to this, if you're a dance teacher, if you want to pursue an art in performing arts or traditional arts, you're thinking about this. I'm sure your parents, grandparents are thinking, oh my goodness, we, you have to be rich to be a musician. Your family ha- has to have a trust fund in order for you to even think about it. Right. I don't think about it. Right. And, but what I'm hearing is this, that you are pursuing something that you love doing. You know, maybe not always, but that's something that you wanted to try and learn from. And on the side, you always, the duality, at least two or more things that you're focusing on. Do you think that gave you, that's one area. Do you, do you think that give, gave you the freedom, the confidence? And, and you know, what was going through? The What have you learned doing that for over the years? Yeah, I mean, it definitely gives you the confidence, right? You never want to walk into something with the mindset of, oh my God, if I fail. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's a very negative way to embark mm-hmm. upon any journey. You want to walk in like, hey, you know, I'm going to work on my craft and 
try to be the best I can be and what it is that I do, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to also know your strengths. Mm -hmm. So if my strength is, say, theater, because of the way these scripts are written, three-dimensional characters, and I have time to develop it in front of an audience. And as an empath, I know I can bring what is necessary to make you feel what the director and the author, screenwrite, meant for you to feel, right? Mm -hmm. That may be a strength. But say if a weakness is auditioning on camera, because I just am not good with doing ta-da, did you like me? <laughs> type of thing. It's something that you got to work on at the same time, right? So what I did was I focused on my strengths in other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I find comfort in educating others because I came from a family of educators. Mm-hmm. So there's value in taking something that you know or passions and helping others, it kind of keeps resealing what you know, right? You're constantly a student too, if -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So they go hand in hand. I cannot, again, I'm a person who is not going to sit and wait for someone to pay me. And that's the business of acting. If you get a check that day because you booked a job, then your family eats. If you do not, then you don't. That's a very unique business model, right? Mm. It's great when you're young. Great for me when I had nothing to lose. I'm in college. I'm, in bro- I'm broke anyway. I moved to New York. I was broke anyway in my early 20s, fearless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always then had a job working for a producer, working for a director, because I want to know the back end of this. So when I go to grad school, it was not just for dance education. I also made sure my master's included arts administration, mm-hmm. because you have a lot of performing artists who don't know how to run businesses. Mm, right. Point. Yeah. Right. So again, I'm a left and right brain thinker. I need to be able to create my, create my own when I need to. That confidence comes with getting older. It wasn't until I became a mom uh, that I said, you know what, this is great, but it's not doing it because it's taking away too much time from this little person who I love and don't want to miss any opportunity mm-hmm. in her life. So again, I started to shift, take those skill sets and you start to shift what it is you're doing with them Mm -hmm. uh, to create revenue streams. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's pretty much been uh, the journey for me. Two trains running at the same time. You have to have one foot in both. If you're going to be a pie maker and want your own bakery, learn how to make pies, but also learn how to run the business, do your books, (laughs) you know, create a budget. Fundraising, all of that, you have to have different hats in this day and age because as we've learned in 2020, change happens. How do you pivot, right? Oh, this is so important because I know that maybe some of you guys watching this are thinking, I actually don't like business. I'll tell you, my mom herself Mm -hmm. does not like business. She's a very talented artist, as you can see from all the works done in my office. She kind of made it, she declared she didn't like marketing. She did not like to represent herself. So we, it was always taken, um, was always done by someone else. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw that was such a, a disservice to, to oneself because mm-hmm. until recent years, now in 2020, she's in her late 60s. She learned that she has to represent herself. The lesson right, came, should have come soon, sooner, mm-hmm. but it's better late than never. Uh, now, right? So because when you are giving this permission and this responsibility to someone else, 
not only won't you learn the necessary skills, and the other is that you have no control over how you're being represented. Um, so to me, I get really excited. Everybody, my clients, my friends know I get really excited about all things business from spreadsheets to marketing plans to, you know, budgeting, doing films, videos, all, all that jazz. But yeah. give it a shot. Like, my, for example, for you in 2020, you know, I'm so glad we got back in touch because of my emails. Um, yeah, I'm so, so thrilled that you reached out. But what did you find yourself needing to pivot? What are some of the, the changes, perhaps some very uncomfortable decisions you have to make? to adapt? Oh, uh, gosh. I mean, it's funny. You said uncomfortable. I feel like there's always these ebbs and flow, right? Of being uncomfortable in life yeah. and then hitting your, your stride too. Um, well, you're perhaps more ready. I mean, given you, you had years of practice prior to 2020. Uh, yeah. In a better well, position. Yeah. So again, before, you know, 2020, I was still part-time college professor. Then I'm back in Ironically, I'm going to tell you how things come full circle. In my 20s, early 30s, I was so focused on just being the performer. Mm -hmm. And then after I became a mom, you know, wanted to lend myself my time more to being in control of what my career looked like. Mm -hmm. So out of everything, it just fell into my lap, an opportunity to teach at a performing arts college in Miami. I mean, I had, that was off my radar since grad school. It, by then, 15 years had passed. But I ran into someone who said, hey, we're looking for someone at our school who has professional acting experience, a master's in, in dancer acting. And I was like, wait, that's me. This is crazy. So I went to meet with the dean. And by the time I left, my name was on that syllabus. So things came back around. This is where I'm kind of talking about when you're living your truth and living your purpose from a, a place of authenticity, things pop up in your life that are least expected. Because remember, my original plan was to be a dentist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It finds you. Yeah. It, but the universe had another way. As long as I kept saying, yes, this feels right. Yes, this feels mm -hmm. good to me. Mm -hmm. And looking at opportunities, you know, to match or combine or hybrid Mm -hmm. Those have always happened where I've had to change and shift. So I was teaching at Miami Dade College three years, and a very dear friend of mine, she's like, I, she's a professor at UM, University of Miami. She goes, I would love for you to come talk to my college students at the business school about marketing and branding. Yeah. I was like, I, what do I know about that? She's like, Maisha, you came from an acting background. And, and I was like, you know what? She's right. You can, I was teaching public speaking. Again, same skill set. Mm -hmm. Actors know how to market themselves, but because we didn't have social media when I was doing this. You have to, or you're kind right. of your own company. You are your own company. So, I mean, the same way we know how to do our own hair and makeup, yeah. we know how to present ourselves, pitch ourselves, brand ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when I walked into that school for her, with her, I had already designed something. Again, coming from teachers, you know, college at Columbia, you had to design a curriculum to give people the skill sets that we learned in the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. which is why entrepreneurs need to be comfortable with public speaking. Mm -hmm. You better believe it. Now in this generation of social media, you cannot be shy and you have the next upcoming Facebook and someone comes as a reporter and puts the mic in your face and you can't say what your brand's about in two sentences and own it with confidence and, and answer questions and deal with cri crisis communication. You got to be present and on top of it. 
Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, I've shed that passion that worked for me in my 20s and 30s. Now that I'm mid 30 to 40, you know, 40, I go in as a mom, this is, this is where I want to be now. I want to teach other people how to do this. And more and more people are going to need it. Oh, and YouTube is, you know, people creating their own channels. Great. And Instagram live. Great. You guys need me. Mm-hmm. So that's where that pivot happened. And again, it just came from, let me see what everybody needs help with. And what are, what skills do I bring that only I can do when you call my name, you know? And so that's how it lended itself to that. Um, when I decided to sit down and really create a plan around United We Slay, mm-hmm. it was, it, it was intended as a docuseries first. Right. I remember. <laughs> yeah. And a friend, uh, who happens to be her husband's over at Ruckus Avenue radio saw my deck and he goes, how would you like to do this as a radio show? And I thought, Oh, I like this yeah. because it gives me an opportunity to highlight and feature all these amazing culturally diverse women mm-hmm. who I've met along my journey. I'm talking about rock stars who I never saw on television. Cause remember we talked about, you know, yeah. people being selected for different things and they're overlooked because they may not have a billion followers on Instagram, mm-hmm. but these people are changing lives and making impact. So I told him, Oh Yeah. I'm comfortable. Let's do it. If I'm teaching public speaking, okay, I got the radio part, but it was really about highlighting the people in the world that were doing things that were changing lives. That's the premise behind United We Slay. And the stories stories will otherwise wouldn't be heard possibly. And a a platform created for everyone else. So Mm -hmm. that's lovely. Thank you. You know, thank you. I appreciate that because it, it this came to be before 2020. Mm-hmm. So then when we got to 2020 and I started to see what was happening in American culture mm-hmm. with the racial tension and people are looking for content from people of color, specifically African-Americans. I was like, oh, we got this. Yeah. yeah like, what is it we need? You know, because we we knew we always existed. Mm-hmm. I knew that other cultures always existed, but I think if you're not a minority, you don't feel a need to go and connect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the groundwork was already laid, so to speak. And it was a joy to be able to bring people up that look like the world that I knew. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I can already think of, you know, a couple of potential introductions or how I, in in this way, I can actually share your podcast episode or your podcast overall, you know, to people who really crave this. Because what I learned, uh, especially as you mentioned this past year between the pandemic and and racial pressure in this country and uh, the the multitude of, you know, the different types of, I guess, struggles that we live through from uh, you know, for the African-American communities, as well as at the beginning of the year when the pandemic came out, you know, it was called sort of the, um, you know, the China virus. And then there were yeah. different attacks on the Asian communities against people who are Chinese and people who are not Chinese. And right. it was incredibly uh, upsetting. So then we started, and I started hearing from all over the place to say, oh, well, fine, I want to learn more about you people. I want to learn more about African-American cultures. Where do I find that? 
And of course, you know, I, I also have a very diverse group of people and my, my black friends are telling me, Faye, I'm just really busy these days. All of a sudden, everybody's coming to me asking for these questions. And it nice. creates that trigger of, oh, yeah. look, you know, for some people, for some group is like, oh, there was only one person I know who's African-American. Let me go right to him and I will get educated on. But I think what I love about your show is highlighting these stories so that those stories are there. And the yeah. longer you run your show, the more powerful it is, the more diverse it will be. So people can, you know, with you being a, a teacher, really, by training and, and by interest. So now people can go to a more centralized place where these stories have been curated. And you can listen to it when there isn't, a, a, when it isn't a headline on CNN. Right. That's right. Oh. Because there's an immense, a lot of pressure when the world is looking to you to tell a narrative of an entire racial group. Correct. Yeah. Like I didn't get that leisure. No one gave me a reading list when I needed to learn about the plight of, you know, our Jewish brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. I self-activated that. I wanted to learn about the Holocaust. I went to the museum. I talked Mm -hmm. to a bunch of people. Listen, I look at it like this. If you have a portfolio in life, right? They tell you, say, in business to diversify it. Why is it that your friend folder, you know, portfolio doesn't look like this? Diversify your life. Mm-hmm. If in the year 2020, you have a homogeneous group around you, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, especially living in a place like America. This place was called the melting pot mm-hmm. for Once a reason. Was, yeah. For a reason. And the more you do that, the more you realize everybody's more the same mm-hmm. with the exception of some traditional cultural values, right? Passed down for generations, but it's pretty much still the same. Mm-hmm. We're the same. We, we put our pants legs on the same. We are you know, pregnant the same as women. The men are going through the same headaches and dating, but then you know, we're, we're more alike than we are different. And so it's a thing of empathy again, mm-hmm. connecting us and you have to put forth the effort. If you really want to genuinely get to know people, make yourself available, mm-hmm. but don't put the pressure on one person to yeah. tell your entire fight. <laughs> Are you kidding? You're right. And everybody has such a different uh, yeah. experience too. And I almost forgot to ask you this question, just mm-hmm. listening to you speak and, you know, you grew up with brothers, but you also, all of you grew up with two, both parents who mm-hmm. are very, into and advocating for, you know, social justice and equality. And they're very vocal, very known in the community. Um, What what is the impact that your parents had? (laughs) You're like, (laughs) what didn't they have? So maybe we should go through the short list. What was it like growing up in the household like that? Social activism was at the front, forefront of our minds. Uh, I mean, the first boycott I went to, I was six years old with my mother. My mom worked for Operation Push, which is led by Jesse Jackson, Reverend Jesse Jackson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Growing up in High Park, we lived a few blocks away from Louis Farrakhan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chicago was very much a social activist, hands-on, proud people, you know, community where we were making strides and differences, you know, and the rest of the country was watching. I was exposed to it at a very early age. So again, community, justice for all, seeing people, no matter what the socioeconomic status was, you never knew if that kid who unfortunately had to grow up in the projects with limited food, Mm -hmm. you know, 
but who didn't have means was the next potential rock or the next potential, you know, um, concert pianist. He just needed the tools, right? These were things we saw. You are born into a circumstance. You are not your circumstance. You can overcome these circumstances. You can move forward, be upward mobile, and get to where you're going with support, help, and the means. Mm -hmm. That was something that was at the forefront of our home. It's something I lead with today. We always had people in and out of our house. Again, my parents were educators and social activists. It's about community. If one person was not eating, well, bring them in. We got food for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it has always been a service, you know, being Mm -hmm. of service. Um, My parents were surrogates to a lot of Black children who didn't have healthy relationships with their parents. Me and my siblings had to share our parents in that way. So I couldn't be selfish. I couldn't, to this day, I still, I have so many play brothers, sisters from here to Uganda. My mom goes and finds folks all day long and she goes, what you need, honey? And she's that person and she Mm -hmm. educates them. They lend their relationships, they mentor. Mm -hmm. So when you grow up with that in front of you, I can't just show up and say, oh, it's just about Maisha. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, I, I, I can't have that vanity deal. It has to be, how do I open this door for 50 other phase, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I can, because I have access to it now. Yeah. How can I help in that way? And so that has been the legacy of the Dyson family. It's something I feel tremendously on my shoulders. Um, it's something I share with my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot be selfish mm-hmm. in this world and, and expect it to become better. If you have information, Faye, which you do so lovely and you curate it and you organize it and you're giving people gems and you're doing it because it's what you feel is the right thing to do and other mm-hmm. people are winning from it, so be it. We, we have to have that. We have to have that. I, I just see it like how we need water. You know, mm-hmm. how else can we grow? And so you're constantly learning and your audiences too. And hopefully they take that and teach someone else. So that's been our uh, our upbringing. <laughs> oh, what a great mantra. I mean, some people hearing this probably thinking like, oh, Maisha's so lucky. And I think they're right because you've been exposed to parents who are so loving, uh, who are so accepting of others. Not only, I think, they've been exposed to a very diverse group of people they know who desperately need help, but I also, they, I think they they seek out, seek them out too. Uh, I, I bet your parents are exactly like that. You know, all oh, this weekend has gone really well, but wonder who needs help. They actually look for them. I think that's a that is really something. Um, I haven't met your parents, but if I have the pleasure to do so, I, I'll be sure to give them a huge hug, as I would uh, will for you as well, because, you know, something really kind of like feels personal. I've, I don't think I ever brought this up, but I interviewed uh, Ralph Peterson Jr., um, who's African-American, really famous drummer. And, um, you know, not to give away his age, but a number of years ago, I think many years ago, I met his mom who since then passed away, but I just saw, I saw this woman and I don't know what it is that we're in a crowded room. He had a lot of students performing, uh, different instruments. The moment his mom walked in, I was immediately attached to her. I just, I had to, I just felt, I was probably already 30 at the time. I felt like a little girl. I just I felt so safe. I couldn't describe, yeah. not that it was any environment that, you know, it was was a very loving day and environment. Yeah. Everybody's playing music. But when I saw her, I just knew she had to, 
hug me. Like I, yeah. I felt something really tremendous that I never felt yeah. before. Um, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. She possesses something that just made me feel immediately attached to. I, I feel that it's when people open their hearts, right? I mean, listen, my parents are not perfect and my family isn't. We have all have our demons, okay? Mm. But I will say when, when you put that hat on or that intention of moving through this world with your heart open, mm. that's where that coming of service is really about. Other people feel it. They come to you. It brings it to you. So I guess it becomes that like attracting like situation. Mm. If I am closed off, you're not going to feel it like coming to give me a hug if I walk in that room. Mm -hmm. But if I come in and I'm smiling and I have something in my eye, or, you know, or something that you see that maybe that we could give each other, then I, I find myself doing, I'll walk over to someone else and go, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to know you. I'm Maisha. Who are you? Yeah, I'm supposed to know you. I love I'm that feeling. I'm supposed to know you. Yeah. But you have to take your guard down, right? You have to be comfortable um, being vulnerable because mm -hmm. some people may say not today. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then you got to be okay with that. You can be assertive, but you're going to, you're not always going to get your way, but it's better to know what you want to know how to present yourselves and let that natural energy attract and let just kind of let things hang and let it, let it all happen to you. So the, the last two respect your time, Aisha, there's one more area I feel like I'm really curious to explore. As my emails, as you've reading the series, have been talking a lot about diversify your income, my different income streams, and I'm being very transparent. You know, not each every income stream is millions of dollars, but I'm showing people a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, but just based on you, what you brought up in, in the most recent moments, it makes me think about the next email I'm, it's in draft mode. I call it no income stream. It's not a joke, but I said to myself, I realized for 10, 20 years already that I'm very willing to work for free for yeah. at least a couple of reasons. And, um, you know, I'm sure you and your parents have all helped people that you didn't get a penny from. And then you devoted your, your, your you know, it's love and devotion. And I've been doing that too. Even in the year 2020, I have so much joy helping people. And I guess how to form it into a question is, one, sometimes people don't fully understand. And in the world, especially in this moment where resources feel limited, that right. jobs are lost, you know, right. the PPP are somehow sent to already millionaires and billionaires and the everyday right. people are struggling. So right. people sometimes are like, you know, um, I'm very lucky not have encountered that. But other people may say, what are you doing this for? Why are you helping me? What's the intention behind it? Because I've heard this from other people. Wow. Right? How do you help people process? What's your take and how do we help other people process that? Wow. I haven't had anybody question, like, why are you giving advice on something per se? Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. I, I, I'm just like, wow, I, I wonder, like, what I don't even know what my response would be if someone did that because uh, yeah I'm just like mm. you know how you find out like here's my okay let me go back if I'm offering an online course and you're offering this to people in corporate you know that these corporations can afford what you're giving okay Correct. so yeah. I have an income because I do believe in charity but when it comes to your career you also have to know your worth yeah and I found that the hard way, especially being a minority, you know, a lot of people expected me to show up and not pay me anything with a master's degree from Ivy League college and 
20 years, you know, behind me of professional work and you don't think you need to pay me, let alone on time? No, thank you. You know, you have to be um, assertive and knowing your worth and when to say, no, this is my value. This is my service. This is what I charge. Once that's taken care of and you can stop and you look back at the community at whole and I go, you know what? Here's an online mini course. See if you like the way I speak. See if you believe what I'm talking about. Try it out. Tell me if I'm full of shit. Come back. Let me go back and recreate one. How's 99 bucks, guys? Can we all afford that? Because what I'm going to give you, in addition to what I explained, is actually going to be more. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's not, um, we're not, I, or I can only speak for myself. I'm not a selfish person where it's, oh, I only going to give you the five things I talked about. There's always bonuses. Mm-hmm. It's always, oh, this plus. So I'll go back to when I'm teaching at the college. They paid me to be there to do a job. But what my students got in exchange was those students who wanted to go to New York and L.A., Mm -hmm. they're college kids. They didn't have the relationships. They didn't know agents. They didn't know producers. They didn't know directors. I opened up my Rolodex and said, hey, let me know who you need. Send Mm -hmm. an email on their behalf. Now you've got a contact. Now if you want to go work in Hollywood, you can go get a job and use my name. Mm -hmm. Well, that's priceless, right? So again, you got to look at the value and also the person who you're in front of. Do they value what you're giving? Yeah. If they do, Mm -hmm. exactly. If they do, they value you. Mm-hmm. And and you are, you know, as a creator, you're having tremendous amount of fun. You are mm-hmm. learning something new you wouldn't otherwise from your other paid projects. Then yes. I argue that could be a really great opportunity. And, you know, I, I think the way I formed the question wasn't so much of if people really pushing you away, being so negative, right? Yeah. Um, and, and not nice or nasty even, then you're not obligated to help them. You can end oh. the conversation. Um, yeah. But sometimes people are a little bit puzzled by it. They're kind of intrigued by it because yeah. we're living in a world where this, you know, given then you give and uh, then like, how do I react to this? Uh, why, you know, I didn't even, I, I can't pay you. I don't have enough money to pay you. Why do you see this endeavor all of a sudden become a shared vision? So that's something I've been thinking about. Instead of thinking my brand phase world clearly is about me, my world and people in it. But I started to kind of try to elevate myself, my brand to be about other people and service yeah. of others as well. That that maybe I can call something that that's, oh, that's obviously my legacy. But I think our legacies are ingrained in the works that other people are doing, the lives that they're living. So, yeah. You you just nailed it. And that's the whole premise behind United We Slay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't introduce the show talking about me. I go, hey, guys, in an effort to, you know, talk about these badass, amazing women I meet in the world, I'm bringing them on the show and we're going to cover every topic. Tune in. And it's about them. It's their spotlight. I no longer want to be on stage. I'm super comfortable being behind the camera mm-hmm. on or on the mic. Tell, please, guys, I want to interview you. Tell me your story. Share your story because I have been through a lot now. And I want to know there are days I'm insecure, days that I'm winning, days that I'm, am I the only one? Oh, I'm not. Thank you. Am I crazy? No, I'm not. Okay, good. And so that's value. That's community, right? That's the community currency which we talked about, it's give and take. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about people questioning, you know, those things that you give as freebies, the best example I could give is when you go to certain cities and you see these little clear mailboxes and they have books and they're like, please take one. Yeah. yeah. Take what you need, leave what you don't. That's how I see it. It may not be for everybody. Yeah. And I'm so glad you're on to this podcasting journey. I can see you doing Thank it for a long you. time. And because just like you said, now these are the little 
boxes of books. But now as you travel worldwide, you already, already have friends worldwide. Yeah. Now you're going to have, you know, you're opening up new doors and, and literally new doors where your guests will welcome you in. Let's just say after the pandemic. And I lived that life for many years before the pandemic. And it's just so beautiful uh, yeah. to enjoy lunch, dinner, time with my podcast guests, families, watching their kids grow, yeah. watching their paintings all of a sudden appear, not all of a sudden, but appear in my in my office and, and to really feel their presence. Um, so yeah. it just, it's so incredible, uh, Maisha. Oh, I mean, I, I feel like it was so easy to take up the entire hour talking to you. <laughs> What are some of the, yeah, like how do people find you to yeah. consume with your work, your your wisdom and, and knowledge? I'm here. So, okay, I'm the introverted extrovert. And as I told you before we started chatting, I am, sometimes I'm on and off social media, but my presence is on, I'm on Instagram mm-hmm. um, at my, Myesha Dyson. And um, yeah, you can just contact me there, you know, uh, United We Slay Media on Instagram, I get emails that way as well. You can tune into the show. Uh, yeah, we just kind of go from there, but that's where you can find me. Um, a lot of times, and I was going to say this too, Faye, as creative content producers, which is like that position we're in now, mm-hmm. when we find people whose stories just blow our minds, we're able to take it up a notch. And so like I've been developing some projects from guests that were previously on my show. Yeah. outside of just the podcast. So now we're in the space of, you know, creating TV shows and things like that about their story because they're phenomenal, right? Yay. So it's stuff like that that kind of comes up and I go, God, this is such a fun space that we are in mm-hmm. that makes it all worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Uh- <laughs> exactly. That's how I created my documentary. I absolutely loved it because then it's such a different, it's a different medium and then people have a different feel, then you grow as a result of doing podcasts and the documentary. Yes. And, oh, it's just, I'm going to remaster. I'm going to, I just announced it. I'm going to remaster my documentary and produce a, like a longer form content with my producer, her mom. So excited about that. Yeah. This is the perfect time to do it. Everyone's looking for content, something, in, you know, diverse telling stories. This yeah. is the perfect time. 2020. Thank you for that. Yeah. You know? Awesome. All right, Maisha, all your links, uh, descriptions are, are, are in the de- well, in the description wherever you're watching this, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. Um, Twitter is a little bit trickier, but please connect with Maisha and listen to her show and, and re- you know, really recommend it to other people as well. It's such an opportunity because she's done the work, so you don't have to. Um, so thanks again, Maisha. I'm going to take us thank offline you. now. Thank you for having me. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose DeLeon, transcript editor Alina Ahmedova, and lastly myself, the creator and host of FaceWorld. Thank you so much for listening.